This is the Gartner Sales Podcast. You could have the best key account managers. You could find the 10 best key account managers in the world. And if you put them into a program which is not set up correctly, they're still going to be hamstrung. Right? They're still going to achieve suboptimal results based on what they could achieve because the program isn't designed correctly. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gartner Sales Podcast. I'm Billy Lucky, Director for Advisory at Gartner for Sales Leaders, together again with Betsy Gregory Hostler, Senior Director for Research in our sales practice. Good morning, everyone, and the end of the year is upon us. And as 23 winds down, I know that you all are just curled up in front of a fire, a little cup of something nice in your hand, really just relaxing into that holiday season, right? Yeah, yeah, we know you're not. We know that in true sales fashion, you are all burning the candle at both ends, smoke's just pouring off your laptop as you fire off those emails, and you're moving mountains to get deals over the Q4 line. So just a quick acknowledgement of the good people of sales. We see you. Good luck in that last mile. Betsy, no doubt many of our listeners are currently distracted checking their phone for that notification confirming that big win. It's going to put them over for the year. While at the same time thinking how to make this easier for ourselves by having a fast start in Q1. Well, in today's episode, we'll discuss a segment many of our CSOs lean on for that quick boost into the new year, their key accounts. And Betsy, I think this makes sense. You know, most sales leaders invest significant resources into their key account program and have equally high expectations. That they do. It's data time. Our research shows that delivering increased returns from key accounts is a priority for 70% of CSOs and similar sales leaders. And 95% expect a higher growth rate relative to other accounts. Yep, yep. And despite our best efforts, key account programs still often underperform. 58% of organizations we surveyed reported missing their key account quota. So, Betsy, that's why we're delighted today to be welcoming back our good friend of the pod, Dan Hockyard, Senior Principal Analyst at Gartner for Sales Leaders. Now, Dan spends his time working with CSOs and their teams to tackle their challenges around both key and account management and has led much of our recent research into key account programs. Now, Dan has been with Gartner coming up, I think, nine years now. And before his role as an analyst, he held a number of roles in Gartner Advisory Services. Dan is based out of Manchester in the UK, and when he isn't working, you'll find him either chasing his daughter around the local park, playing some pretty average golf, or sitting in a quiet corner of a coffee shop with a good book, which hopefully we will hear about at the end of the podcast. So Dan, welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Billy. Uh, What what a welcome. What an introduction. Uh, It's great to be here. And uh, you're not wrong about the average golf, Betsy. I probably spend more time looking for my ball than actually hitting it. <laughs> no, I'm just jealous you used to get out there, Dan, I got to say. Good for you. Absolutely. So, Dan, key accounts, it's not a new topic. We all know that. But client questions about key account programs are on the rise. So tell us a bit about what's happening. Why is that the case? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that, Betsy. First of all, key account programs are an essential component of organizations' growth strategies. And therefore, it's what I would call an evergreen topic, right? We get lots of requests and questions from clients, right, year round, year on year about key account programs. Now, I think we've seen a bit of a spike in that recently, particularly when you consider the broader economic picture, right? High levels of inflation, market volatility, uncertainty means that 
growth is hard to come by, particularly new logo growth. And I think a lot of organizations have turned to a posture of how do we drive organic growth? Where better to turn to than our, our best, our biggest, our, our most strategically important customers? And I think it plays into a backdrop at the same time of, well, there's this notion of kind of chronic underperformance in key accounts. 42% of organizations that we surveyed had rebuilt their key account program twice or more in the past seven years. So you kind of have this blend of like the economic conditions mean that it's incredibly important right now, but against this backdrop of chronic underperformance, there's a huge upside potential. And I think that's what's drawing a lot of focus and attention today. And now, Dan, I know from my conversation with the clients, there seems to be as many definitions of what a key account is as there are sales organizations. And that stat you just mentioned seems like within an organization itself, they're still figuring it out. So I think before we get too far into this conversation, can you help us understand what sets a key account apart? Yeah, I think we absolutely should chalk the field a bit, really, right? Because I hear, you've heard right from clients that key accounts can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, now, whether you call them key accounts, strategic accounts, platinum accounts, core accounts, whatever the name is, right? What we're talking about here when we refer to key accounts is those top few, our biggest, most strategically important partners. You know, if we were to kind of look at our customers through the, the age-old pyramid, they would be the very tip of the pyramid. These are the customers where if we lose them, if they don't choose to retain their business with us and they go elsewhere, there's a gaping hole in our yearly number. There's the CEO's office is, is emailing us and ringing us like, what is going on? How have we lost this account? So as Betsy laid out, we know that our clients have great expectations for their key accounts and their key account programs. So Dan, what's going wrong? What challenges do our sales leaders run into to really get this right? Yeah, I think there's a great question here. And I think the question is on emphasis and focus. I think what we typically hear a lot from clients is the focus that comes on, okay, our key account's underperforming, right? We're not getting the revenue we need. What do we need to do to help our key account managers? How do we make our key account managers better, right? They take a very people focus. Well, that's not wrong. I think the, the common errors that we run into, right, where key account programs ultimately fail is in the program design and a lot of the components that need to be put in place in order to have an effective program. So that plays out in a few different ways. The first would be an unclear strategy. Great, we've got a key account program. What do we want to achieve from that? And just saying growth isn't enough. We've got to be a lot more specific and targeted about how we're going to achieve the aims that we're putting forward. Secondly, I think we've got unclear and very rudimentary key account selection practices in place. You know, a lot of organizations take these hugely strategically important decisions about who becomes a key account by basically saying, who spends the most with us and who's the biggest account? And they may well be a huge account. They may well spend a lot with you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they would value a strategic partnership with you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be right, a, a high growth key account. And, and you know, Billy, another challenge, come to think of it, is misaligned customer expectations. And I think that really flows from the fact that a lot of sales organizations, a lot of key account programs, really, I should say, don't engage customers and calibrate and, and spend time with them to understand what a mutually beneficial partnership would look like. Um, we assign key accounts into our key account program and we almost keep it as our secret. 
And that means often key customers aren't aware they're in a key account program. I don't know the expectations that are there accordingly in terms of the growth that we would expect for allocating you know, scarce resources to them. So I think that challenge can really flow from the fact that you know, a lot of our practices around how we align with the customer, how we communicate with them about what we would like to see from a mutually beneficial partnership just aren't there. And then finally, I think the next piece is once we have this key account program in place, the other area that we see is we kind of treat all key accounts equally, right? We offer them all of the resources they have available to them and expect them all to utilize them all. And what we find is that only 16% of key account managers told us that their key accounts fully utilize the resources available to them. So when you start to put all this together, you can see how these kind of compounding errors result in this almost very generic program. And, you know, the thing that I'll say to clients all the time is that like, you could have the best key account managers. You could find the, you know, the 10 best key account managers in the world. And if you put them into a program, which is not set up correctly, they're still going to be hamstrung, right? They're still going to achieve suboptimal results based on what they could achieve because the program isn't designed correctly. I think that's where we spend a lot of time with our clients trying to help them focus, like, how can you build the program that's going to drive success and, and solve for those challenges? So Dan, I'm curious, when you talk to clients about these kinds of challenges, what are the typical approaches, the typical levers they try to pull to solve for these issues? Yeah, I think, and I think it goes back to that people approach, right? We've all heard it is, let's put them through some training, Like we need to upskill our team, we need to equip our key account managers with better talk tracks. When in doubt, train. Exactly, right? And we should say that's still important, right? That's not wrong in a way, but it's only going to get you so far if you've got a program which isn't set up for success. And I think time and time again, right, we'll often overlook the key account program side or fall into the same traps um, time and time again when we rebuild programs that aren't performing. I often refer to this as, as an iceberg, right? The thing that's really visible when we look at key account performance is the key account manager. After all, like they carry the number, they carry the quota. What isn't clear are all of the different facets of the key account program that kind of sit beneath the surface. Right? And if they're not there, if they're not right, it means that the key account manager, they're, they're the visible one, they're the figurehead for the program, for the number, but they're really going to struggle in this environment. So what should they be doing instead? Let's get down to sort of, you know, the answer is there's a typical approach. It's not turning up the results. Where should they be heading? Yeah, I think the first piece is to go back and revisit the key account strategy. What are we specifically looking to achieve? Where are we looking to drive growth? Are we looking to drive cross-sell or upsell into specific accounts? Are there accounts which are huge accounts, but they're just really important to retain? Having that kind of strategy in place and knowing what we're looking to achieve means that we can, right, everything else becomes a lot clearer going forward from there. I think the second piece is getting key account selection right. Um, we need to make sure that we're not just selecting on size and spend. We need to have right, more blended, holistic criteria that reflect the strategy that we're looking to achieve. So now we should be thinking about a wide range of metrics that we can measure accounts objectively on so everyone's kind of going through the same test so that we can create a kind of short list of look who should be or who would be good fits for the key account program and then i think the final piece is we've got to align directly with the key account customer do they want to be in a key account program do they value a key account partnership knowing that they value a key account partnership 
of what that partnership would look like from their perspective means again that we can be more tailored more specific and more relevant to that key account and hey if they turn around and say you know what betsy thanks but no thanks i wouldn't value being part of your key account program that's okay that's good for us to find out and it's better than finding out two years down the line after we dedicate all of our incredibly scarce and expensive resources and not achieving growth as, as a result so the second piece is to go back and revisit and formalize a lot of the process around key account selection. And I think finally, a piece of research that we've been working on recently and hopefully we'll publish quite soon, right? We've been working on this with Robert Blaisdell, our, our chief of research, is not all key accounts are created equal. You know, what we see a lot, as I've kind of mentioned, is great, we get all of our key accounts, they all go into one program, they all get everything. What we need to go through is a process of sub-tiering, right? Trying to group different key accounts into different tiers and then being more specific with how we engage them. And we're starting to see a few organizations who have done this, right? And they're they're able to ascertain, great, within our key account pool, we've got strategic key accounts, we've got retained key accounts, we've got grow key accounts. What that allows them to do is to be much more specific with the resources that they target. So now they can share the right resources that are going to align. They can align the best executive sponsors. They can even plan their talent accordingly, right? So if we've got key account managers who are better at growth conversations, they're aligned to the key accounts who are more likely to grow. So I think the third piece is great, select the the right key accounts, get that right, but then go that step further within the the account and create key account sub-tiers so that you can have really focused engagement strategies, resource allocation, and use that to communicate expectations internally. That allows the program to be more focused. And what you will find, right, if you're a CSO, is that if you can do those things, right, define a strategy, select the right key accounts, tier the accounts accordingly, is that your key account managers will thrive in this situation. They've got that clarity that they crave. They've got a lot of that challenge of uncertainty off their back, and they can be a lot more focused and a lot more targeted. Well, thank you, Dan. That's quite a list of suggestions for CSOs to consider. But you know we'd be remiss. I mean, this year has really seen an acceleration of technology with generative AI exploding on the scene. And I want to pick up on something you mentioned just a moment ago. Like Part of the strategy is efficient allocation of resources. You know The best resources, the best account programs, and the best account manager to it. Where do you see the future of key account management going? How can these programs leverage some of the exciting technologies we've seen this past couple of years? It's a great question, Billy. And I guess, you know, I think from my perspective, I think there's a couple of things that are at play here. I think we've all seen across the past few years the explosion of revenue technologies, right? They're geared towards ultimately helping sellers and sales organizations do their jobs more efficiently, more effectively. Now, I think that's going to really manifest a lot in the, the key account management role. Now, if we think about key account managers today, they're kind of the person who seems to do everything internally, right? They've got to align everybody within their organization. They've got to get all the different stakeholders from across different business units on site. They've got to engage with large, complex customers externally. And I think even for the most experienced of key account managers, it's a really tough position to take on, but it also creates a kind of bottleneck, right? Everything's got to go through this key account manager. So it's not just incredibly tough, but it's also incredibly inefficient. Now, I guess that's the back context. I think what we'll see in future, and you know, we're talking about this a bit more broadly at Gartner, is the rise of technology as a teammate. I think specifically here, we're going to see the rise of technology as a teammate in a key account world. Now, 
I don't think that means that generative AI is going to come along and like take all of our key account management jobs. I don't think that key account managers are going to be completely automated in the future. But I think what we're going to see is this teammate status for key account managers that really helps relieve them a lot of their burden and a lot of the activities they're doing. You know, if we think about it, key account managers are some of our best, most experienced sellers. But a lot of their time is spent on internal workarounds and processes and, and sign-offs and things like that. So we're not using that time efficiently or effectively. And that's a prime example of where like, technology could come in and take on part of those activities and act as a teammate. Um, you know, We've talked about it more broadly. There's nine different use cases that technology will likely to take on. But I think a great example here is just the AI seller assistant. An AI seller assistant could be really easily deployed in a key account management world to drive that efficiency and effectiveness of our key account managers, reduce the burden on them, and ultimately improve the outcomes for the individual. Boy, I mean, that, that sounds really exciting. And to be honest, kind of a bit mind-bending for a segment, as you've mentioned a few times, it tends to double down on that personal relationship and the success of that account manager. But you know, knowing our clients, Dan, and the promise of a quick boost for Q1, I'm sure many of our CSOs are wondering, you know, what are the things they can do now to make everything we've talked about today happen as they move into next year? That's a great question. I think if I was a CSO now and you put me in my role, the first thing that I would be doing is revisiting my key account selection. And then once I was happy with my key account selection, I would then go on to think about what are my key account sub-tiers looking like? And you know, that allows us to be really sure about which accounts we've got in the program and then to go from a big group of customers with one common characteristic, spend a lot of you, to specific tiers that we can orientate resources, engagement, sales motions um, around. Uh, that may be a little bit more than just the Q1 play, right? But I would definitely be kicking that off now. Now, for the fast start in Q1, I think I'd also be looking to get in front of key accounts. And I'd be wanting to sit down with them to calibrate with them on the partnership that we have together from a supplier and a customer side. And that isn't just, what can we do for you? How can we serve you better? That's actually sitting down and saying, let's reflect on our partnership together. And um, do you value being a key account? Like, do you value the resources that you currently have access to? Um, do you not value a key account partnership? And if not, that's okay, right? We can think about how we can best fit your needs. I think that level of partnership up front can really allow you to create joint account plans to set mutual expectations for what you'd like to accomplish over the next 12 months and put you both on a you know a very clear and stable footing to move forward from there. So there's one thing for a fast start, I will be looking to calibrate the partnerships with key customers. Because sometimes they're just not that into you and that's okay. I love that. That, you know, put any relationship on a sound footing. Let's talk it out. That's a great way to look at it. So we are coming to the end of our time. I hate to say it, Dan, because it's always so much fun to talk to you. But, but of course, we're going to ask the question, what's the last book you read? And would you recommend it to our listeners? I guess, first of all, Betsy, I'm a huge interest in current affairs. So I'm a subscriber to The Economist. And that's my kind of weekly bread and butter, if you like. Um, and I would recommend it, I think, Having that insight into you know, everything that's going on across the world, personally, I find fascinating. Now, I know that's not quite a book, so I appreciate that um, maybe dodging the question slightly. The last book I read was Silk Road, A New History of the World. I, I studied history, and it's another one of my passions. And it's a really interesting book at how like, the Silk 
road shaped the modern world in like a whole period of history that personally I was really unfamiliar and probably uneducated on. I would highly recommend it. I think it's a fantastic read. And look, I learned a ton coming out of it. And then I guess the other, I, I always try and have a fiction and nonfiction going to keep it light. Um, I've also been reading So Help Me Golf, Why We Love the Game, which is a good reminder for why I do love golf, particularly when I'm, I'm looking for my ball um, in, a, in a bush or in a pond or something for a lot, a lot of time. So again, I would recommend that it's a really nice, lighthearted look at the game of golf and why I and so many others love it. I love the recommendations we get in this section. That's great, Dan. I also love when we get recommendations that are not specifically sales focused because we can learn from anywhere. And these are some great recommendations. Dan, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time. No, thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Billy. And that's all the time we have for today. Listeners, we welcome your feedback and invite you to reach out to us on LinkedIn with suggestions for future shows. We would really love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Billy and Betsy saying thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations. 